each morning at eight o'clock, I plan out the day or I look at the day. This is what I have to do. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to accomplish. And just that, that simple trick of writing it down, focusing on it, just sets your brain to follow that pattern. Go. This is the Future Self Estate Planning Podcast, your place for financial and estate planning tips and so much more to make your future self your biggest fan. He's your host, Robert Ingalls. Welcome to episode two of the Future Self Estate Planning Podcast. This is a very special episode for me. It's our first Future Self Podcast interview, and I could not be more excited about our guest today. The goal of this episode and every episode is to provide valuable knowledge and insight that listeners can implement in their lives immediately. And if you're looking to be inspired to act, to start making decisions today that are going to get you from where you are to where you want to be, there is no better role model than today's guest. He graduated from South Forsyth High School in Cummings, Georgia. Forsyth. Forsyth. There you go. Attended Auburn University, War Eagle, on an ROTC scholarship, served his country in the Army Corps of Engineers as an executive officer and combat engineer platoon leader, served in Iraq with the 2nd Armored Cavalry Unit, and was awarded the Bronze Star and Army Commendation Medal for his service. After finishing his military service, he turned his eyes to law school, where he was a member of the Law Review and Order of the Crown. After graduating magna cum laude, he accepted a position with a prestigious multi-state litigation firm. With all of those accomplishments, you think he'd take a moment to rest and enjoy it. Instead, never satisfied with good enough, after four years and three young children, he walked away from that job to open his own firm, and in one short year, has already found tremendous success. It is my esteemed pleasure to welcome today's guest, a man that has so very clearly played the game with the end in mind, a man who understood his future self, where he wanted to be, and made the tough decisions every day to get there. Robert, his friends call him Bobby Sawyer. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thanks. That's a very, very nice introduction, Rob. I always, whenever I get introduced, I'm like, who in the hell are these people talking about? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you wrote the story. I'm just telling it. Yeah, hey, it's good. It's good. I, I look back, uh, and sometimes I think I'm 10 years ago, I'm like, I still make horrible decisions, uh, but that's okay. It, right. it seemed to work out all right. Your so horrible far. decisions are doing better than most people's, I think. <laughs> So, Bobby, uh, I really appreciate you coming here. You're our first guest. I appreciate the honor of being the first guest. Right on. So, have you always been Bobby? I know your name's Robert. Yeah, I've always been Bobby. Uh, uh, I'm a second, so my dad was a Bobby growing up, and then he transitioned to the more formal Bob, which is what most people call me if if they don't know otherwise. And I tried the Robert thing every once in a while. Uh, When I graduated college and went into the Army, I was like, yeah, I'm Robert. I'm a person with somewhat responsibility here. I should be a Robert. Bobby sounds like a, a jackass walking down the street. Uh, but no, it never stuck. Uh, and so I, I just stuck with Bobby. I'm in the South. I figure it's okay. Right. Uh, so I have a similar story. And, yeah. and I was it was a little later in life when I switched to Robert, too. I think it was about six years old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, uh, my, my dad was always Bob. Yeah. And, and growing up, I was Bobby. And I have wanted to be an individual from my earliest memories. And they call me Little Bob, Little Bobby. Um, so I made the executive decision at six years old to tell my teacher, I would like to be Robert now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and some people in my family still call me Bobby two, uh, which just drives Bobby me crazy. Two? Like, yeah, like uh, Bobby number two. Right. And probably shouldn't say this because now everyone's going to start saying, Hey, Bobby two. Bobby two. It's, it's my second favorite, favorite, uh, least favorite nickname. And I'm not going to tell you my least favorite because it'll just cause more problems. We will get to the bottom of this. <laughs> All right, Bobby, let's dive right in. Um, so 
you have three children, is that right? Three children. We have a trip. He's six years old. Actually, Robert Treat Sawyer the third. Uh, you know, we broke from the whole Bob. That was our solution. It's going to get confusing to the to the whole. What do you call him? Bob, Rob, Robbie, whatever the case may be. Bobby. And then, uh, or you know, King of the Hill called you. Damn it, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Just say it the right way. Yeah. Uh, no. So trip, and then we have twins, Gavin and Audrey, uh, that are three years old. Twins. How is that working out? Uh, it's it's pretty good now you know they're to the point where they're mostly potty trained they can feed themselves they can uh communicate so everything's not in crying form or that's what the goal uh but the first year is it's kind of crazy you how know? did you handle that i mean was your wife basically doing anything other than feeding children no we we, we did the team approach you know we, we've always tried to uh approach parenting in, in the team way. Uh, and, and there's some some certain things that I'm just biologically unable to do. Uh, so, <laughs> that, hence the feeding. Yeah, hence the feeding. But, you know, changing diapers, getting up. When I could take care of them in the night, we would do that. And it was really an interesting transition because we went from, you know, being able to double team our first son, you know, hand off. In that way, someone always kind of had a break. You know, we need to go take a break from the crying six-month-old to – we always had a baby in our hands. Had to go from man to man. Yeah, uh, it, from we didn't even go to man to man. We went from double to zone. Yeah, and it was. Yeah, uh, and, and I tell you, Trip <laughs> could find the the seams real easily. It was it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you institute a routine to help you kind of gain some order there? Yeah, and this uh, I don't know. I think we've talked about it before. I have this. I'm, I'm developing this theory about time management that you never know how much free time you have until it's actually gone. Uh, it came up during law school. You know, you go to law school and, and you have to figure out how to study and all that other stuff. And I didn't, I didn't think that was challenging enough. So I decided to have a kid during law school. Sure. My, I, my wife and I decided to have a kid during law school. And so I suddenly found out how much free time I used to have as soon as that kid showed up. <laughs> and I had to do other things. And the same thing happened with the twins. And so we, we got into a routine. Uh, you know, wake up in the morning, feed the kids, get them, get them together, get them to daycare, whatever the case may be. And then uh, Katie, my wife, and I go to work, come home. Uh, one of us fixes dinner. Typically, it's you know I cook the dinner, she cooks the dinner sometime, and then get the kids in bed. And then after all that, uh, she and I sit down for a whole uh, I think average forty seven point two minutes of free time before we actually pass out from exhaustion. Now is that an exact number? It's on. It's an average. It's a rolling number. I keep a chart going. I I love spreadsheets, and so I, right now every night before I pass out, I I put my free time in, and I keep it comes up on my phone actually in the morning. It's like you had forty five minutes of free time last now, night. Now what app is that? Uh, it's one in development. I can't really release it yet. Okay. That's it. Hey, fair <laughs> enough. That's pretty interesting stuff. I like to hear that. <laughs> it's Google Sheets. <laughs> <laughs> well, right on. Uh, so every day, do you have a? Is your day planned out? Do you know what you're doing every single day between home and work? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of value in doing something like that because what it does, uh, it focuses you on your goals. Uh, it's very easy, regardless of where you are uh, in your career. If you're, if you have any sort of larger plan, uh, trying to get somewhere, you got to set that goal, and then you got to start taking baby steps. And that's what daily activities are: baby steps to to that goal. And so, what I do each morning at eight o'clock, uh, I plan out the day, or I look at the day. This is what I have to do. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to accomplish. And just that that simple trick of writing it down, focusing on it, just sets your brain to follow that pattern. And then you, you kind of, sometimes you do it consciously, sometimes you do it subconsciously, but any event, any distraction that comes up, you assess it in a way that says, okay, is this helping me towards what I need to get done today? If it doesn't, then push it off to the side, do it sometime later, something along those lines. And I take that out to doing daily planning, weekly planning, monthly planning, quarterly planning, annual planning. Uh, and that way, if you're in a, 
a position where you have three year goals. You know, you pick a point three years in the future where you want to be and, and reduce that down or distill it down to what do I need to do today in order to accomplish that. Then that's it, it's 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 amazing what happens if you organize it like that. I think if you ever decide you don't like law anymore, you have a future in uh, life coaching. Um, <laughs> yeah, but people ruin everything. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, kidding. I think I'm going to let you sit with me and go over my plans because they're not nearly that uh, well thought out. Um, so, right out of law school, tell us about your first job. Uh, first job right out of law school, I was uh, an associate with Clawson & Stops, a great firm uh, headquartered down in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, it was on insurance defense litigation, and in between uh, the Army and actually going to law school, I worked in the construction construction industry. Uh, and so I had a background in construction industry, and they put me into construction defect litigation, uh, which is very interesting. Uh, I got to do some good things and also some personal injury defense in there, but it's just my heart wasn't in it. Uh, I, I, I discovered, or as anyone that went to law school will tell you, law school t- teaches you absolutely nothing about practicing law on a daily basis. Uh, so you got to wait till you actually get out and get a job to figure it out. Um, but I discovered that I, I do not like litigation. Uh, and really, it, it stems from the fact that I don't like being told I'm wrong. And unfortunately, in, in, in the litigation world, somebody's always wrong. All day, every day. And, 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 and usually it's both parties. Yeah, and that's what it is. But then you get this judge telling you that you're not wrong. And amazingly enough, I had a successful career in the Army having a serious problem with authority. Uh, but, you know... It, there's, that's for another event. But anyway. I think that's one of the reasons I never even considered it. Yeah, well, you know, in, in some some circumstances, some jobs, that type of uh, mentality can be very, very helpful. Uh, and that's where I found myself in the military. But anyway. Uh, so, yeah, that was my first job. Litigation associate, you know, filing motions, doing discovery, going to court, you know, it, so that sort of stuff. How far into that job did you realize it wasn't for you? You know, probably about... Three years is three years in is when I made the decision. You know, this is not this is not for me. So take us back. What was going through your head at that point? You had three children. The twins would have been newborns, I guess, around then, right? Uh, yeah, they, yeah, right around then. Okay, yep. take us back to your thought process. You've got this job at a prestigious firm. Uh, and you're thinking of going out on your own. Take us through that thought process. I mean, it was really a it was a very logical. Or at least I approached it as a logical uh, thought process. You know, any, there, there's barring maybe celebrities or people who win the lottery. There, I, I think there's very few people in this world that truly get to do what they absolutely love to do for a living. Here, here. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, and it, even if you could do it for a living, it's not necessarily going to afford you the lifestyle that you want to you want to live or sure. that sort of thing so you know I, I came to the realization or just looking at our finances that we were kind of on a we were treading water you know we were just barely just making ends meet we the the twins were newborn and that was kind of a catalyst for the whole thing it was like all right i have i now have three kids that i want to provide for uh i want i want them to have as good as life as i had or or the goal a better life than i've had uh, and I want to provide college for them. I want to make sure that they don't go for wanting. And our financial situation was just one that wasn't going to meet it. It, it was the way the, the the compensation structure was set up. And, and actually, the way hourly billing was set up, you, were, you know, there's a finite number of hours you can work in a day, and there's a finite number of, of rate that you can bill at. You and know? I'll tell you, that was one of the decisions I made as well when I looked at that. I sat down and I did the numbers. I said, even if I'm one of the highest paid attorneys hourly, if I work purely on an hourly basis, yep. if I'm one of the highest paid attorneys in town, there's still a cap. And it's a very high cap. Um, 
you know, if I was working 40 to 50 hours every single week, it's a very high cap. If you're billing 40 to 50 hours a week. If you're billing, correct, (laughs) there. And and I looked at that and I said that, you know, that there's really no way to get past that. I mean, you can own your own firm and have people working for you that are billing as well. Um, But the headaches that come with that are pretty severe as well. Yeah. And so, and so I got, or I I came to the conclusion that I am not going to be able to accomplish what I want to accomplish in my life in this job. Uh, And and the kind of the same thing was that, and this is not a slight to the, the attorneys I worked with. I just didn't want to be in business with them. Uh, And that's, that's the track most attorneys are on when they when they get into that type of position is you're working on the partnership track or seven eight years down the road you expect to become a partner and then i wouldn't say you're on easy street but you're on a slightly less hectic street and the the, i guess the the culmination of it was i saw the partners at, at my branch uh working harder than i did meaning they were working longer hours uh dealing with more stress and that sort of thing and i was like after being here for 10, 15 years... It's not going to get better. I, I do not want to be working more than I am. The goal is to work less. Precisely. Precisely. So it, that kind of set me upon the path of saying, all right, what else What else am I going to do here? Uh, you know, so what took you to estate planning? Started doing some research. You know, if, if you take... Okay, I'm, I don't want to deal with litigation. I, I just... I don't like it. Other people's problems. Yeah. It, it, it's There's people out there that love... My wife is in court every single day. She does a wonderful job of it. And, and she does... Uh, she loves it. I don't love it, and so I'm not going to go. And, and it, that if you don't, if your job makes you upset, you, it bleeds over into your personal life. You know, you come home and you know you you're antsy. You're you take it out on your kids or your wife. Or you, you're not. You know, I don't beat them, but you know, <laughs> I'm verbally abusive. Uh, <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean because I'm the same way. Um, early in my career. I did. Uh, I started practicing a little family law, and I found out very quickly that that's not going to work for me. I, I really wear my feelings on my sleeve, mm-hmm. and when something happens at work, I can't turn it off. I know a lot of attorneys that can. They go to work, they deal with other people's terrible, terrible problems, especially some criminal defense attorneys, and they're able to just flip that switch when they leave the house, and they're fine. I, I brought it home. I bring it home. I'm upset, yeah. and I said that I can't do that anymore. And yeah, and that's and so as you start looking in other areas that aren't litigation and, and you, it narrows down very quickly. Uh, you had general counsel, uh, you know, corporate work at a corporation, that sort of thing. Uh, document review, which again, that that's an hourly billing sort of thing or, you know, there, there, it, there's a finite amount to do it. And that certainly wasn't going to reach my financial, my financial and my, my personal goals. And then you get into the, the estate planning, real estate, things along those lines. And, to be honest, I hated I hated wills in law school. Uh, it was it was dealing with fractions and you know John Doe owns Black Acre and all this other stuff, all this just nonsense. It didn't have any real world applications to me. And, and perhaps there's some other reasons we won't yeah, discuss. Yeah, the, the, the extraneous re- reasons that we won't get into right now. <laughs> <laughs> but and, but the more I kind of looked into it and what it meant and uh, you know the the possibilities uh, there, the, the more I found it attractive and I actually started learning about it and I enjoyed it. Okay. So, so, if you don't mind telling us, how old were you when you got your first estate plan? When I got my when I did my first estate plan. So, my first estate plan was September 2011. Uh, well, technically, everyone has an estate plan, Rob, provided by the state. <laughs> and 
and we'll go into that. Yeah. No, so uh, actually writing down an estate plan, I, I took what knowledge I learned during law school and the fact that North Carolina rac- recognizes holographic will- wills. Uh, that's that's handwritten will- wills for those of you who are thinking they're you know, holographs, future type thing. That uh, sounds pretty cool. That's a market I'm going to look into. It's, it's really impressive. Anyway, handwritten wills. Uh, what prompted it was uh, Katie and I were going to Ireland to celebrate me being done with law school. And we had absolutely no plan whatsoever to take care of our children or our child or son at that particular time. Uh, the vacation estate plan. Yeah, now you're amazed. How, you'll be amazed at how many phone calls I oh, get yeah. about that. Oh, yeah. That's one of the more popular ones. Uh, and so I was like, you know, we, we kind of need to write down maybe who should take care of our children. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll then, work itself out. And I was like, yeah, trust me, holographic wills are cool. I just took the bar and passed it. So clearly I'm qualified to make this sort of decision. <laughs> um, so did you physically write it down? Oh, yeah, we wrote it down. Yellow legal pad just to make it official. Fantastic. Did you have it notarized? <laughs> no, no. Holographic <laughs> wills don't need to be notarized. <laughs> um, but my the, the true estate plan that that if, if parents of young children or when parents of young children come and talk to me now, I didn't have that until I actually started doing estate planning. Right. Uh, kind of realized how important it really yeah, is. Yeah. I was like, I cannot believe I wrote down my child's future on a yellow legal pad. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. But it, it needs to be done. Uh, anyone, once, once you're married, uh, have a house and are seriously thinking about having kids, that's the time to, to do an estate plan. Uh, you know, if, if you have some measure of assets, owning a house, things along those lines, and you can benefit from having a will. Uh, but absolutely, once once you're bringing, once you're responsible for someone else's life, you need to have a plan in there. Just yeah. if nothing else, protect them from themselves. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if I got a million dollars when I turned 18. I don't think we'd be sitting here. No, I'd, I'd be dead or in jail or a combination of yeah, both. Combination. <laughs> Dead in jail. Yeah. Um, died on the way to jail or something. <laughs> uh, so what would you say the most important issue that you run into frequently that people just don't know about estate planning? Uh, I'll, I'll split that question up simply because it, it the issue depends upon where you are in your life. If you're uh, like me, you have, you're a parent of young children, uh, <clears throat> the most important thing is protecting that child from themselves. Not you know, like we were just saying, not allowing them to inherit what will likely be a considerable sum of money when they're 18 years old uh, is putting some mechanism in place to make sure that if they want to go to college, then the money's there for that. And even if they don't want to go to college, there's some, some sort of stop gaps in there to make sure that they have some real world experiences or something along those lines so that when they do inherit the money or do have access to it, they make less than horrible decisions with it. Sure. And is there a plan that you can put in place to, decide how that money is is doled out can you put a person in charge of that oh yeah 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 and it, it, that's the beauty of using trusts for planning you know trusts are here it has a connotation of use or for rich people you know it's rockefeller vanderbilt type stuff um but in reality it's a mechanism by which we can make sure that that our hard work is used in the way we want it to be used uh, you know, if you don't want it going, if you don't want it going up your son's nose, uh, <laughs> or something along those lines, or or not that any of your kids are predisposed for substance abuse problems, uh, but you don't know the future. If I knew the future, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be on a beach somewhere, winning the lottery every other week just to rub it in people's faces. <laughs> um, but no, it, it, if you use a trust, and whether it's a testamentary trust or you have a revocable living trust, testamentary means it's in your will as opposed to in a revocable living trust. Uh, then those are both great ways to make sure that it ultimately you're, you're what we're talking about is trying to raise your children 
when you're not there. And the, a trust is the way you replicate that in legal form. Uh, you know, you can say I wish and I want and have great conversations with your brother or sister, whoever's going to be taking care of the kids. But ultimately, you need to write that plan down and put mechanisms in place to protect it. The second uh, major issue that you come into, and this deals with people who are retired or getting close to retirement or, or uh, you know, in the later stages of life. They don't realize, or it's it's kind of a unknown thing out there, that you can design a plan so that between husband and wife, when the first person passes away, everything is poured into an irrevocable trust that is protected from everybody. And when I say everybody, I mean like government, Medicaid, all those other sort of things. And the reason why that is so critical, and I, I recommend this for every single client of mine that is... It's close to 65, over 65, getting close to retirement, whatever the case may be, simply because what happens between a husband and a wife, one of them is going to get sick first. And the healthy spouse is going to help, excuse me, healthy spouse, I did it twice. <laughs> healthy spouse is going to take care of the sick spouse. We'll cut that out. Yeah. We're not going to cut post, that out. Post production, please. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, healthy spouse takes care of the sick spouse until the sick spouse passes away or needs to go into a uh, living facility. In doing so, the healthy spouse gets sick themselves. Uh, and to the point where when the, the sick spouse passes away, the healthy spouse needs to go into a living facility. And what happens from a financial standpoint is that pretty much wipes out their entire nest egg. Uh, long-term care costs are to the point where it's yeah, you know, if you can get it, if you can, if you can manage it to eighty thousand dollars a year, you're doing good. So, how exactly do these trusts protect that? So, uh, it, because the government says so. Okay, that's that's the short answer. So, you know, you can you can build a revocable living trust that does these. It has what's called supplemental needs trust provisions and things along those lines. So, what's the time period to to create that? Uh, when I work with them, it's four to six weeks. Okay. Uh, four to six weeks period from initial meeting until things are in place. So yeah, the reason the, the the government does it that way, you know, if you look at Social Security Disability Manual or the Medicaid Application Manual, it says if you have a trust created by your spouse in their will, as opposed to a revocable living trust, then it's okay. If it's created the other way, then it doesn't matter. It's literally because the government said so. Gotcha. Uh, they know what's best for you. <laughs> <laughs> Big Brother does. Yes. All right. Um, So one of the things that you hear more popular these days is a lot of talk about trust as a vehicle to avoid probate. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's it's really, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the the poorest person on the street or Bill Gates. Everyone in the country has three basic estate planning options. One, do nothing, in which case the state has a plan for you, have a will, or use a revocable living trust as the basis of your estate plan. If you don't have a plan, if you have a will, both are going through probate. A lot of people, I hear it all the time, people think that if you have a will, you avoid probate. Absolutely incorrect. All a will does is override the state's default rules. And so people people get interested in avoiding probate for two reasons, or two primary reasons, I'd say. Number one, it's completely public. Everything you own will be categorized and inventoried and on file down at the courthouse. Uh, privacy concerns aside, that sets your heirs up for... Some, some questionable situations. Someone finds out that your 14-year-old daughter stands to inherit 
you know, a billion dollars or even $500,000 when she turns 18, then they all of a sudden she's a target for a financial con. Sure. Uh, the second reason is they want to avoid the cost of probate. On average, nationwide cost of probate varies between 3% and 7% the value of your estate. If you own a house, life insurance, 401k, you can get up to $400,000 very, very quickly. Is all of a sudden you're looking between twelve and fifteen thousand dollars in probate costs. Sure, and if you're interested in learning a little bit more about probate costs, you can go to our website www.ingleslawfirm.com, and there's a probate calendar on there. You can plug in all your assets, and it'll tell you what your estimated probate fees. are I've going seen to that's be. a very impressive feature. I like it. Glad you like that. That was very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, those are two big reasons people like to avoid it, and, and then the kind of an ancillary reason to it is probate takes time. North Carolina, it's going to last on average 14 months. South Carolina, it has to last a minimum of eight months. It's probably going to take longer. And during that time, those assets aren't really freely available. You have to account for every dollar that's spent. Uh, And, you know, if if you're in a situation where your your spouse or someone needs money, you may not be able to get it to them. Sure. Uh, And so those, those are some of the big reasons people are interested in using a trust to avoid probate. Gotcha. Yep. All right. So we were talking earlier, you were telling me you've been doing some speaking engagements. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So uh, we've been doing seminars down at Sun City, Carolina Lakes, which is what they call an active lifestyle community, uh, which is pretty impressive. You know, they, they uh, it's marketed. I don't even know if they let anyone under the age of 55 own a house in there. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's for people that are in retirement, uh, and they do all sorts of things. Yeah. They have the tennis, the golf cooking clubs, whatever the case may be. Uh, but we're doing monthly seminars through October where we focus on, uh, really the impact of long-term care on, and and the interplay between long-term care and estate planning and what you can do to really mitigate those costs. If you, if people are serious or they want to make sure that, Uncle Sam doesn't become the single largest beneficiary of their their hard work, then you need an estate plan. Uh, if you want to give all your money to the government, that's great. I've, I've been around for, well, I haven't been around for a long time, but I've had been in some pretty serious political discussions with people, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Very few people like to give all their money to the government. Yeah, I think that's uh, one thing we can agree on. <laughs> yeah, and so, and so once, once you start talking about, hey, this is how you keep it in the family as opposed to sending it to you know, Raleigh or Washington or Columbia or whatever the case may be, <laughs> sure. then, then they, they, start, they start getting interested in it. Uh, so yeah, that's what, that's what we're doing there. Uh, I think I've done a couple other speaking engagements, but what I'm focused on right now are seminars for, in, in that target range, simply because it, it's the, the people are interested in it and there's a very, uh, it, they're, un, they're not very well informed on the topic. There's a lot of myths out there. Sure. Uh, yeah, that, I run across that a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the biggest one is one you said earlier is that probate's going to, um, that a will is going to avoid probate. Yeah. I, I don't even know where, where that idea came up. I'm sure it was a chain email or something. <laughs> Mark um, Zuckerberg. Yeah. You bastard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, that's going to bring us to the portion of the show we call the Future Self Skinny Minute. And what we're going to do is it's going to be some rapid fire questions and we want to hear what your answers are to them. So what is one book that you would recommend? One book I would recommend and this, uh, this is going to be interesting because it, it kind of goes back to uh, my military days, but it's called The Generals by Thomas Ricks. Okay. Um, and, and stick with me here because I'm sure a lot of people are, when you normally ask this question, you're going to get a great self-help book or something along those lines. But this was self-help for Bobby. Hey, sure. Everybody it, finds it somewhere. Uh, and so, you know, being in the military, you, you get, you, you're part of this huge organization and 
I, w- I was an officer, and so there was always an emphasis on developing officers and making sure they, they're proper leaders and things along those lines. And the culture there was essentially if you screw up once, like if you get one DUI while you're an officer, your career is over. You might as well just hang it up and go home, that sort of thing, which I don't think is a great way to, to build leaders or, or even to you want to apply it to the civilian world to build uh, employees or people you're working with. And so what the generals does or the, what the book does is it starts with Eisenhower and MacArthur, not MacArthur, Eisenhower and Marshall in World War II, how Marshall really built generals through World War II. You know, if someone screwed up, if a general screwed up, he was sent back home for a little while, but he found himself back on the front lines eventually because, you know, they, they recognize that, that not everyone's going to get it right the first time. In fact, very few people get it right the first time. And, and war is a very, 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 very inexact science. In fact, it's, it's, it's not even controlled chaos. It's, you know, throw a stick of dynamite somewhere and hope it comes out in, on, on the good side. <laughs> so what the book does is it kind of shows you the evolution of how you went from this Marshall in his, this great, uh, great way. I'm going way over a minute. I'm sorry. Oh no, it's all right. Okay. I, I have full, I mean, the number of questions I write out for the skinny minute are going to go okay. over. A Anyways, minute anyway, it, it shows, it shows how Marshall, you went, you went from this phenomenal leader building machine that was the U S army to what I experienced where it was almost uh, paralysis by bureaucracy. Sure. And it's, and I, I, I've taken that or I've taken that lesson. And as I build my firm or build my business or just how I approach my everyday life, if someone, or even if I mess up, I was like, you know, it's kind of led me to the belief that you don't fail until you quit. You know, if you don't get it right, take a step back, figure out, make everything a learning experience and make sure that whatever mistake you made, if you make it again, that's great. But, let's put some controls in place or some factors in place so that maybe it won't happen again. Right. And that's what, that, that was one of the takeaways from that book. From Very me. good. So. Now, is that a book that we can find online? It is. It I, is. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, okay. So you can click and download that. Yep. All right. What's your favorite quote? Uh, a tie. If you're going through hell, keep going. And life does not put, in fr- put things in front of you that you cannot handle. Right on. What's your favorite beer? Spot and Oktoberfest. Fantastic. Outside appearing on this podcast, what is your greatest personal achievement? Uh, greatest personal, you know, I've, I've managed to get three human beings into this world to the age of six and three and they're healthy. And that's probably my greatest achievement. Uh, you know, there's, there's some, there's some other ones in there. Auburn won the national championship in 2010. Personal achievement. (laughs) achievement. (laughs) And I was crying like a little baby on my couch when it happened because I was so happy. (laughs) Greatest professional achievement? Uh, going out on my own. Uh, I hear and, that. And, and that's, it's, yeah, uh, and, excuse me, uh, making sure that your professional life exists to improve your personal life, that, that's a fundamental concept I think everyone needs to understand. Yeah, that, I agree. Yeah. Uh, and, and you really only can do that once you take take control of your professional life. And if you're able to do that, in in a in in a organization that's great. I just me personally, I I had to be out on my own. I'm, and my wife will tell you that I was not going to be happy until I did it. Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, yeah. and to be fair, I've been an entrepreneur from like my earliest memories. I was oh, yeah. trying to sell walnuts to the neighbors. <laughs> um, Squirrels are the worst customers. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Um, have you ever met Spirit, Nova, or Tiger? And if so, what were they like? Uh, oh, the birds of prey. Very good. Yes. So I have met them. Uh, actually, I, 
so I'm, I'm a band geek. Uh, I was in the band in high school, and actually at Auburn University, I was in the marching band. And so we're down on the field, and if you've ever watched an Auburn game or the beginning of an Auburn sure. game, uh, Spirit Nova or Tiger. That's really the only part of Auburn games I watch. Yeah, they, they fly around the field, and, and it's a great tradition, and they go down and land on the field. And so I've I've not been uh, close enough to touch, but I've seen you know, waved high, and the, those, those those things are scary. Yeah, have you seen the talons I on have. an eagle? I have. <laughs> I don't think I'd be a falconer. No, no. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Uh. That's a tough one. It is. The, I'll go with, uh, you, know, you, you only get one reputation, uh, something along those lines. It, it, it's, it's, there's a variation of it. No, I know exactly what you mean. It's like you, you only have one reputation, and you know, in, in doing that, do right by others. It's easy to sully it. Yep. And so make sure that whatever you put your name on, if you make a promise, keep it, uh, that sort of thing. Just you know, do right by others, and you only get one reputation. Right on. What did nine-year-old Bobby Sawyer think that he would be doing today? Nine-year-old Bobby Sawyer thought he would be a uh, pilot in the Navy. Oh, uh, you can still do that, right? No, I cannot. I'm too old. <laughs> oh. and my, I, well, I, don't know, I don't know if the laser, LASIK vision for my eyesight would work. But no, I was, <laughs> I was, I, you know, I was absolutely uh, fascinated by all things military aviation. Nice. Um, to the point, actually, aviation in general. I don't know. It was right, it was right around the nine, ten year old time time period where I could see just the outline, the silhouette of an airplane, and tell you what it was. Uh, and so I was just it was that's what I was going to do. That and I'm actually trying to achieve that today. You I'm, had your second flight lesson today, didn't you? Uh, third flight lesson. Third flight lesson. I, I managed not. We did three touch and goes, and I managed not to wreck the plane, or at least. So each. you actually landed the plane today. Seventy five percent landed the plane. Uh, Did the wheels hit the ground? Yeah, they, no, they hit to the ground. It was just the instructor kind of. Sometimes he yeah. grabs the controls. Make away sure from you me. guys don't die. But you know, I stalled the plane three, you know, three or four times in the air. That's that's terrible. Well, no, no, that was that was what we were supposed to. It was an oh, intentional okay, stall. Okay, okay. So <laughs> you make the plane fall out of the sky. It's awesome. All right, here's another tough one. What is one thing that you know for sure? Things will get better. Right on. <laughs> Optimism. I like it. <laughs> or another way, it's like it'll work itself out. All right. Yeah. All right. One more question, and it's going to be the most serious question of the interview. Can you sing the Auburn fight song? I can. I can. Let's hear I, it. I'm tone deaf. As Let's hear it. I'm tone deaf. All right. War. Eagle, fly down the field. Ever to conquer, never to yield. War. Eagle, fearless and true. Fight on your and blue. Go, go, go on to victory. Strike up the band. Give them hell. Give them hell. Stand up and yell. Hey, war. Eagle win for Auburn. Power of Dixieland. Fantastic. Word <laughs> for word. I've got it in front of me. Bobby, fantastic interview. I really appreciate you yeah, coming thank here. You. Thanks for uh, allowing me to come by. Hey, I'm glad to have you as my first guest, man. You've been very helpful in my life getting me to where I am today. Um, my future self is very happy about, about that. So uh, any parting words? Uh, no, I think I, the, the skinny minute thing, that was good. You, you got, you got, you got all the wisdom out of me. That's it. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> all right, Bobby. Thanks a lot, man. It was good having you. All right. Thanks, Rob. You've been listening to the Future Self Estate Planning Podcast. If you're serious about planning for the future, then we have exactly what you need. Check out our website at www.ingleslawfirm.com for more actionable estate planning content and grab your free copy of our ebook six things you need to know before making a will or living trust. Thanks for listening. Now, get out there and give your future self something to cheer about.
You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat and Pinterest at Ingles Law. 